You're listening to the City Network Podcast. Our mission is to grow and multiply healthy churches in the Treasure Valley and beyond. Head to thecitynetwork.org for more info on our initiatives to catalyze church transformation and church planting. Here's today's podcast. Hey, welcome everyone to the City Network Podcast. My name is Josh Branham. I'm here with co-host Robert Frazier. What's up? Did you just freeze, Josh? Like right here, and guest for today, Preston Sprinkle. Did did I? On your end, did I? Yeah, you froze like right after you said my, my name. Yeah. Am I back now? Yeah, you're yeah, back. You're yeah. Well, welcome once again to the City Network podcast, and uh, we're here with Preston Sprinkle, and we're super excited. Thanks for for, uh, for joining. I think we're getting like every other word, Josh. Is are you getting every other word, Preston, from him? Yeah, yeah. Usually it's my. All right. right. I'll join. I'll join on my phone. I'm at the the building. You never know with construction stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah, swap like over to my phone. Building down there. All right. Yeah. Well, my name's Robert Frazier. Um, I'm one of the co-hosts of the podcast and part of the City Network. And we are excited to have our guest today, Preston Sprinkle, who is uh, internationally renowned author and somewhat expert leader on um, the Center for Faith and Sexuality, right? Is that the name of it? Did I get it right? Uh, Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. Yeah. Pretty close. Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. Got to get all three. All right. And Preston is also here locally in Boise. And I'm stoked about your conference coming up in March, the Theology in the Rock conference. You guys have an amazing lineup. How did you do that? Yeah. Do you have like dirt on these guys or what was the... <laughs> I've had, um, I would say at least, uh, actually all of them, except for David Platt, I've had them all on the, my podcast at some point or another and have gotten to know some more than others through the years, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a small world, but yeah, I'm, I'm super, even though I know them though, I mean, they're all pretty, most of them are pretty big names. So even just cause I might have some kind of relational connection doesn't mean they can, they would say yes, but they, I mean, yeah, about 90% of the people I asked said they can, they, they want to be a part of it. So yeah, I'm stoked. Awesome. And Boise in March, it's an easy sell, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, uh, so Preston, we asked you to be on today, probably just because we want to hang out. We had, uh, we had a great lunch last week, really enjoyed connecting with you. You know, we're yeah. both, it's, it's funny. We like, you're one of those people that I've known about and like, we've kind of swirled around each other, but haven't hung out. And it was like, all of a sudden I was like, I got to actually meet with this guy. So, <laughs> and I, I was just yeah. watching your daughter did that. Uh, we did that Christmas art thing a couple years ago yeah. and she did such a great yeah. job with that. Um, yeah. So yeah, let's, let's dive in. Tell us just a little bit about yourself, where you came from and why you started the center. Yeah. So born and raised in California. Um, I'm 45, been a Christian since I was about 19. Um, fell in love with kind of the ac- academic side of Christianity, um, which was weird because I hated, hated to read, read at all or study. Like that wasn't anything that I was into. But then when I met Jesus almost overnight, God gave me a, a hunger to just dive deep into his word and spent the next 10, 12 years in Christian education. Um, 
was a Bible or a Christian college professor for a number of years. And that was just a, a dream job waking up every day and teaching college students. The Bible was just amazing. Um, did that for a number of years at a few different places. And then, uh, I got to Boise in 2014 because the Bible college I was teaching at, we wanted to plant an extension campus here. Some of you might remember that, uh, eternity Bible college, which man, we, we, I, I did everything I could to, to get that thing off the ground, but it just, it just wasn't, wasn't happening. And it was, a lot of people are really excited about the Bible college. And I think still, still are and would be, but to translate that excitement to pay tuition, butts in the seats to make it financially viable, you know, was a, it wasn't my gifting to, to transfer that kind of excitement to um, actually launching the college. So uh, we did run for about a year um, with a small handful of students, um, but ended up just kind of closing it down because it just wasn't, you know, we just didn't have the money to kind of, sustain kind of five years of slow growth. We needed it to kind of grow quickly. Otherwise it, the, the Bible college just couldn't fund it. So right after that, that was 2016 when we closed down the campus. Um, and almost immediately I went, uh, into, uh, help create the center for faith, sexuality, and gender. I had already been doing a lot of like pastoral training for, several, well, a few years before that speaking at churches and stuff. And so, um, that was kind of like my part-time side gig, so to speak, you know, helping leaders think through LGBTQ related questions in particular, but the demands were just growing, growing, growing. So when the Bible college closed down, um, a buddy of mine, well, buddy, he's 72 years old, but he, um, helped me start the nonprofit, which launched in January, 2017. So that's what I do now full, full time is helping Christian leaders think through, questions about faith, sexual, faith, sexuality, and gender with, uh, our, if I could say my mission statement, um, with theological faithfulness, that's obviously a huge, huge value and courageous love. How, how do we love people well, while staying true to what the Bible says about sex, sexuality, and gender. So yeah, it's been yeah, fun. Yeah. That, <laughs> it's that conversation has shifted so much, um, yeah. in the last 10 years. I, I, I remember as a kid watching TV shows, that were 30 years old in the, from the fifties and sixties. And like, you know, spousal abuse was like a joke in the fifties, yeah. you know, like, and Crazy. like yeah. some sexuality pieces, but, um, and a lot of race stuff that was out of place. Now yeah. you watch like an office episode that's 10 years old and you can't imagine that being made and put on a major streaming service today because like the, the conversation around sexuality has shifted so radically, right. Right. which, you know, over a 10 year period, I think a lot of people are feeling just a lot of whiplash over like, you know, okay, what, where are the lines? What am I supposed to be thinking? How, yeah. how am I supposed to be engaging generously as a follower of Jesus? Um, and then, you know, for, I think most of us within the city network, we hold to a traditional view of marriage and sexuality. And at the same time, want to be radically hospitable to the world around us and helping them discover yeah. life of Christ. So I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Like what, where, where along the journey have you been surprised in, in, in what you've experienced in the conversations you've had and where have you, uh, yeah, let's just start there. Like where have you been yeah. surprised in the last 10 years? It's hard. Yeah. It's, a, it's, there's so many layers to that. It's hard to give one answer. Maybe, um, maybe one surprise more recently is that 
and, and if you paid close attention to the conversation, you know that it's kind of shifted from focusing on the LGB, you know, sexuality. And now it's really focused hardcore on, on the T uh, or even the Q, the queer, non-binary, trans, the gender identity piece. Um, I don't know if that was a surprise. Well, it, once the Supreme Court made the decision in 2015 to legalize same-sex marriage, a lot of especially older gay and lesbian people were like, all right, we're good. Um, we're good. You know, it's, it's you find it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, depending on where you live, I guess it does depend on where you live to some extent, but for the most part, society has become very, um, accepting, um, sometimes almost too overly maybe celebratory of, of, uh, same sex sexuality, you know, um, you know, and that's in certain, yeah, there might be certain towns or whatever, where you saw two dudes holding hands, you might, people might kind of freak out. He might get, you know, called names or whatever. And that still does exist, but I would say overwhelmingly people are, it's just kind of like not, not a huge deal anymore. Um, but that's created space for this now trans conversation. That wasn't so surprising where, where it, where it is a little surprising is that some of the loudest voices in the trans conversation, I'll, I'll say, you know, some of the loud trans activists are promoting a viewpoint that is only held by a small percentage of very radical progressive people that their greatest pushback are coming from traditional liberals. So like in the same sex marriage debates, you had pretty neatly divided, like the conservatives versus liberals. Like if you're against same sex marriage, you can predict who that person voted for. If you're for it, same thing. Like it was, it was so neat and tidy. Where here, it's like some of the loudest critiques, some of the most hostile conversations are among people who hate Republicans and Donald Trump, you know, like, or Christians or whatever. Like it's, so there's, it's kind of an in-house kind of uh, fight. We saw this with J.K. Rowling and Rowling or however you say her name and yeah. others. Um, a lot of debates between this week, feminists. They're, they're renaming Quidditch because they don't want to be associated with J.K. Rowling. <laughs> really? Yeah, stuff like that. It's like, here, here's, you know, somebody who's a, a pretty out and proud feminist, um, not you're totally an Episcopalian. Yeah. 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 Not yeah. So that I would say to answer your question, um, that that's been the most interesting thing is that no longer can you kind of hide behind well, I'm of this tribe. Therefore we all believe this about this thing. Like now you actually have to engage the specific issues at hand. You can't just yeah hide behind your tribal kind of viewpoint uh, with, with the gender conversation in particular. Well, and I think you're also looking at the last 10 years. So you have a 25 year old who came of age in like as gay marriage is being legalized <laughs> and they are like even at Boise Bible College where I've done some like preaching down there. There's a lot of students who do not hold a traditional view of marriage and sexuality because they've yeah. been so shaped by a culture that said this is there's there's nothing to worry about here. And so like they're they're reshaping Christianity from the youngest ages forward. And we're yeah. and we're having to like, you know, as, as we're hiring people. OK, what does it look like for us to have those conversations in the hiring process about what do you believe about this and where are you at? And how how soft or hard are you on those positions? And um, Have you seen a shift in the way that young Christians are thinking about this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I think society in particular, white people have done a really great job wrongly. So, but a great job correlating debates about sexuality with, uh, like civil rights. Um, now I wish my white brothers and sisters would talk to some people of color about that correlation and see how they feel. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, there's not a single Gen Z person who wants to be on the wrong side of like racism, right? Um, the civil rights divide standing up for the oppressed. Um, so once you, convince people that debates about marriage and sexuality are basically the same thing. There's just going to be an assumption from younger people. I mean, again, like you made a great point that people are coming of age in a world where, where same sex marriage is not even a thing. And it's like just a given. Assume, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in that age, yeah, 25, 20, 25 older Gen Z's young millennials, you know, um, and I, and I'm, and we can go here. I mean, I think the silence of the church is devastating and we can talk about that more. I mean, when the church doesn't spend a lot of time and energy discipling Gen Z and questions about faith, sexuality, and gender, somebody's discipling them very well. The question is what voice does the church have in that discipleship process? But silence isn't like, well, if we just don't talk about it, they'll naturally have a Christian view of sex and sexuality. Like, no, they're bathed in an alternative viewpoint. Yeah. It's very compelling, yeah. very loud, seems beautiful, seems loving. And if we're not helping to present a more compelling Christian viewpoint, then not only will we lose, it's like, okay, well, they'll, you know, Gen Z will be more affirming. They're not going to want to have, they're not going to want to even associate with a church that's not that. So this isn't just about face. It's not just about sexuality and gender. It's about faith, sexuality, and gender in the future of our future leaders, really. Not yeah. One of the things I, yeah. One of the things I really appreciate about you, Preston, and both the books you put out and also even video curriculum is not just offering kind of like a church curriculum, you know, across the demographic, but specifically here's resources for teens. Here's resources for the next generation. I, I'm curious, why do you think churches don't do that already? Why do you think there's that silence? And then like, what would you, what would be like the first steps? I mean, I'll, I'll just promote your yeah. stuff and say, it's great. Like you use the stuff that, that center no for uh, faith, sexuality and gender puts out as a great starting point. But other than that, what would be steps for like, let's say there's a church leader listening who says, man, we have been silent and yeah, we need, yeah. we need to disciple the next generation holistically. How do we do that? Yeah, that's a great question. And please here, I, I, no shame. If, if you're a leader and like, yeah, I, I know I need to address this. I haven't done so. Look, as you two know, and I do know from past experience, pastoral ministry is crazy, right? I mean, there's so many things you're so many issues you need to be an expert on. And, and now we need to be expert, like epidemiologists. And, you know, people ask you about the vaccines and pandemics. It's like, I didn't study yeah, it's like, epidemiology. World like, we live in. Yeah. <laughs> so the stress that pastors have to go through to, to be able to speak intelligently on so many things. And then now add this to, so I, please, like lots of grace towards people who are in the trenches of ministry. But yeah, I mean, having said that, I mean, questions about faith, sexuality, and gender have become some of the most pressing ethical and discipleship questions facing the church today. Like at least the top two or three we, silence is not an option. It just, it just, it's not. Um, 
And so what does that look like? I mean, first of all, I would encourage pastors to whatever leadership team you have begin there. Like your leadership team needs, needs training. Like, so I'm, I don't, I'm not saying like, Oh, just go out and preach a sermon on homosexuality next week. Like we, you need to get the leaders on the same page, having open, honest conversations. Where, where are your leaders at? What questions do they have? How can we embody both the grace and truth of Jesus? Cause if it's, if it's all one side or the other, I mean, you're, it's like flying an airplane with one wing. If all you do is preach against same sex relationships and not talk about, okay, how do we walk with people who are experiencing same sex sexuality? Um, so grace and truth. Uh, so yeah, leadership training. Um, and then, yeah, we, we have to start discipling our people. And that could look many different ways, depending on your, the size of your church. Um, it's, it can include preaching, but I think it can't be limited to just your once a year sermon on homosexuality. Like it's got to go beyond that. Um, Josh, you asked about the fear. Um, you know, in my experience, I think there's several layers to why leaders are hesitant to address it. Um, typically churches where it hasn't hit home. <laughs> I always get the call when like the pastor's kid comes out as non-binary or gay or yeah something. Um, that's what usually it's like, Oh, we need to talk about this. Well, now we have to figure many it people out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so usually it's like, well, I, I'll hear people say, well, I'm, I'm, we're really glad you're addressing this issue, Preston. We don't have this issue at our church, but we're glad you're helping those that do. And I'm like, statistically you, you do. <laughs> um, 83% of LGBT people are raised in the church. Um, 30% of Gen Z Christians identify as LGBTQ, 30% of Christians, 39% of Gen Z just as a whole identifies as LGBTQ, according to the recent Barna study. Um, so that, I mean, just percentage wise, a lot of LGBT people were raised in a church and typically they are scared. They kind of slip out the back door, usually without telling anybody yeah. what they're wrestling with. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place, but um, yeah, real quick. So yeah, some of the fears, I mean, it's like, well, it's not that relevant or we already know where we're at. And I just assume all my people know where we're at. Or there's a fear like, man, I know my church is all divided. And if I preach the truth yeah. of what God says, people are going to leave. If I preach grace, other people are going to leave. And man, if I even talk about loving LGBT people, our biggest donor is going to leave. And how do we, you know, so I think there's some of that too, um, which, which is yeah. true. If you, if you address, if you model the grace and truth of Jesus and how you address this conversation, somebody's going to leave. Somebody's not going to like that. I mean, just look at the life of Jesus. I mean, he made people mad all, the, all over the place. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. One of the one of the things that I've noticed with the conversation in general with Gen Z with emerging with emerging generations is um I think did we did we lose Robert here? Yeah, we lost Robert. Um do I need to record on this? All right, I just started recording. I don't know if that I can send you guys a file if uh Okay. Okay. Sounds yeah. great. Maybe you'll hop back in. Sorry about all the, the technical issues today. Oh, no, no, no. Usually it's me. <laughs> That's right. I would say, I'd say this is uncharacteristic, but it's that we've had, you know, stuff a few times like this. Uh, but what, one of the questions I was curious to ask you about just engaging be, beyond specifically this conversation, 
Um, but just the gospel and reaching the, the emerging yeah. generations with the gospel. Mm-hmm. I've heard Tim Keller talking in recent years about, you know, the gospel hasn't changed, but the major life questions that yeah. younger, younger people are asking have changed. And so that means how we contextualize and, and really speak yeah. into a way that's compelling and making Jesus known and all of that. So just curious, I mean, as, as a father with teenagers yeah. caring about your kids, what would you say about how to, how to speak the gospel to these emerging generations? Yeah, that's good. And, and here's where my, I want to be careful because I'm, I'm, I'm not in the trenches of youth ministry. I'm not an expert on youth culture. I do have four Gen Z kids. I guess that helps to some extent. And, you know, I, I dabble, um, in, in the kind of the youth, what's going on. Um, but I would want anything I say about this, I would want youth leaders to kind of cross check what I'm saying. Um, you know, I guess the big thing for me is, the big difference between youth ministry like 20 years ago and youth ministry now or youth culture, let's say, say the difference would be like millennials and Gen Z is I, I just, I just think there is a deep hunger for meaningfulness in Christianity. Like I, th- and again, if you're a youth leader, I would love to, I wish I could hear from you. Um, the, back in the days when you can kind of have like a lot of hype and pizza and games and fun and kind of like, you know, um, I know the world's having fun, att- but we're going to have fun too. We're attractional. Gonna... Yeah. Yeah. And, and just kind of that, like, let's just have fun and, and that'll kind of attract them. And then we'll slip in a 10 minute message, whatever. I, I think at least my kids are so done with that. <laughs> so done. Like they just, they're done with that. They have I mean, my daughter has huge questions about why God had to kill all the Canaanite babies. Like, how do you respond to that? Um, how do you know the Bible's true? Um, why are same sex relationships prohibited by God? Um, one of my daughters was weeping about this is years ago about the thought of spending eternity with Jesus because there's no sin in the afterlife, you know? And she's like, I'm like, yeah, there's no tears, no suffering. She's like, that's not real. Like I want to, I want to live. If I want to live for, I don't want to live forever in a world. that's not real. You just walk around smiling at everybody and maybe you bump your head and you don't get hurt. Like that's not life. I like life. That doesn't seem like life to me. So how do you disciple a kid who's scared to death of spending eternity with God? because she likes a Christian life. Not, not like I want to live it up world. She wasn't saying that. It's yeah, like, I yeah, wanna... for sure. <laughs> so there's just, I mean, my, my, my 14 year old daughter from the time she was 11 would keep lists of like questions about Christianity that half of them I could even answer. And I got a PhD, you know, like, I'm like, I don't know, go ask your mom. You know? um, so I, all <laughs> that to say, I, th- I think, I really think first of all, youth leaders are some of the most important people in the church today um there's discipling parents discipling youth but i man i would just highly encourage youth leaders to like challenge gen z talk about the hard stuff have open forums about race sexuality um politics um the bible is it true or not have an interview an atheist who left the faith and why he did that and, and get the students to ask that person, you know, just mix it up a little bit. Cause that's the world they live in. They go online and everybody's mixing it up. And then if they go to church and just so nice and tidy and, yeah. and padded, you know, like I, I think they, I think in my, in my anecdotal experience, I think Gen Z really wants to, and needs to be really challenged in their faith because I think they're getting just bored. I think they're getting bored of just, 
Christianity, you know, when it's just that's kind of routine, going to church, having fun kind of thing, you know? Well, what do yes, you guys think? I mean, is that, is that yeah. resonating? You guys are in the trenches. I mean, I'm, I mean, so much of what you're saying is about like the fragility of evangelicalism in the nineties and early two mm-hmm. thousands, where it was like, we've got to, we've got to wall off the gates, make sure that nothing from the outside comes in because if it does, yeah. it's going to rock kids and they're going to walk away. And I think that the world shifted so much where the world demands that kids be resilient, like in a way that we never had to be in the nineties. And instead of, instead of helping our kids become resilient people and letting them engage deeply within the context of village and community, we've said, Hey, we're going to give you a really, you know, safe, simple um, set of commands from Jesus. And hopefully it works on its own when you leave and you're on your own. So we don't really give them deep community. We don't really give them deep formation and we don't really challenge them to ask the questions themselves. And so when they get, you know, that resilient faith that um, Kinnaman's been talking about, particularly and John Tyson and these guys, like, like we, we're not giving that away to our kids. So my question for you, we're talking about our, our conference in February is all about rebuilding the church for the next generation. So after COVID, we all have to rethink church. And yeah. I think that the numbers say that Gen Z is less engaged than any generation previously. I think here locally, it's under 10% that are engaged in a spiritual community in high school. Like that's Mm. from what I'm seeing in terms of the kids in the high school we're next door to, like, that's the reality is some of them have like maybe went once or twice a month as elementary kids. Mm. And that got less frequent in middle school and their parents probably stopped making them go in high school. And so it's Mm -hmm. it's a very small percentage. Um, Even the Catholics and Mormons, have very low engagement, you know, across middle school, and high school. Um, so if, if you were rebuilding the church around reaching and engaging the next generation, what does that look like, Preston? That, that's great. And, and again, I'll, I'll think out loud with you. Um, I can't give any uh, just top down kind of amazing advice here. I, I do think that there is a strong, well, a strong desire for belonging. I mean, you, you, you just mentioned it. Um, I, I would reinf- re- reinforce that point. That's true of all humans, all Christians. I just think there's a desperate longing to belong. And we know from just all the sociological and psychological research that that, that is a, that's almost, I don't want to say it's more important than fit, but like, even belief, like we believe the things that are taught the in the community that where we belong. Believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you read David, yeah, Adam, David Brooks's book, That Social Animal? Who's so, that? David Brooks, The Social Animal. Oh, no, no. I need, okay. I'm, I'm th- uh, Adam Grant is a yeah, yeah. social psychologist. Uh, Jonathan Haidt talks about this a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's not, it's not like it's like, Everybody knows, like it's that that desire when you find belonging in a community, that is that that that's intertwined with even your your faith commitment. You know, um, you'll you'll believe the things that you the community believes that you belong to. But, but so belonging is so huge, and I, so I would just say times that by ten with Gen Z that's disconnected, isolated. They're addicted to social media, and they know it's not you know the social dilemma. I mean, they they know it's not scratching the itch. They they keep doing it because they're addicted to it, but they they still have a deeper sense of belonging in community and relationships. It's not that's not being met through a screen. So I anyway, I I think 
youth ministries that I mean, they have a wide open door to, to really focus hardcore on cultivating embodied relational, authentic belonging with other believers. My kids long for it. They long for it. Deep, meaningful friendships, you know, like that's, they were Christians too. Like, in a, like they, they would give anything for that, you know? Uh-huh. Um, I think that, that, that is maybe the new draw where 20 years ago, maybe a, a fun youth group with a great band, maybe a good message. Those things in, in a post-internet, post-COVID world, I just don't... <laughs> They can flip on a podcast or a snap or a, a, um, a TikTok or something, get way better performance <laughs> than any we're youth going to be able to. We're not as interesting <laughs> as, as TikTok for sure. Like our reels are yeah. as good. But yeah. No, I. What do so you, is, that, is, that, is that, do you guys see that too with, with the younger people in particular? I mean, again, I, I think this is true of all people, right? I mean, but Gen yeah. Z in particular, they're just so yeah. disconnected and longing for something. They don't even know half the time what it is, but. Yeah, I, w- I would say for me, you know, I had seven years in youth ministry. Our church context is shares a border with Boise High School. And mm. uh, we're having a lot of these conversations around mm. engaging, uh, engaging specifically high school students, junior high, high school students. And the, I really resonate with a lot of what you're sharing. Mm. Uh, the two, the two, the one word I guess we're using for how we want to engage the next generation with the gospels is the word depth. And that's hmm. in two ways, depth in relationships, like you're talking about. And you, I mean, you can go bowling as a, as a tool, right? Some of that fun stuff. It's not like sure. we need to yeah. make church boring because it's not working necessarily. So, but, but it's got to go beyond that. It's got to go beyond. We have, we play games together and it has to go into, we share life with one another where, you know, students are able to sit around a table or sit on, you know, in a room or around coffee or wherever. And they're sharing some of their big questions about God, about life, even struggles for the very first time with one another or with a youth leader. And that's where it, gets messy and that's where the ministry happens, right? That's where the yeah. growth and the discipleship happens. And the other, the other side of that is like, we want to provide deep re- opportunities for deep encounters with God. And yeah. uh, it goes a little bit to what you're talking about with those big questions, like where a student can spend, I mean, from ages, age 12 to 18, go through all the church programs and they still have like a lot of questions that not only were they not answered, cause you're right. Some of these are like, who can answer? I mean, that's a good question. Right. You know, there's sometimes there isn't, but like not even brought up, not even, no one even wanted to talk about it. And Thanks, cause it's, yeah. Yeah. And then providing like real, you know, experiences. I love John Tyson's stuff on parenting and like, are you giving your own children a compelling vision of who God is or is, you you know, cause the, cause God will, God is compelling on his own. We just have to not try and feel like we need to, you know, dress him up a certain way, but just give him Jesus and provide real depth and and sincere relationships with Jesus. So that word depth for us is just how we're kind of, we're bringing a, a lot of what we do back to that. So that's I was that's I was reading an article a couple a couple months ago and it was talking about um, how like sixty percent of all Nobel prizes have gone to Jewish kids, like <laughs> like and they're 
they're like 3% of the world population or something like that, or less, less than 1% worldwide, 3% of us. Yeah. And what they said was that Jewish kids start so far ahead because they know who they are. They know why they exist and they know what their life is for. And so it's like this, they're starting out with, they're not, they're not spending all this time in existential angst, like white waspy kids are wondering what they're here for. They know that they're a part of a tribe. They know that they're there to like walk along with their tribe, to protect their tribe, to create opportunity for their family. Like it's like this, their work has meaning from the very beginning. So when, and you know, Jewish tiger moms have like their own thing going on that like, you know, perpetuates that, that excelling in different areas. But I think our kids are starting farther back too, because we're sheepish about, about as white wasps, we're afraid to enter in and tell our kids who they are. We're afraid to like endow them with story and narrative that they are a part of God's family and that he wants them to do good work. He wants them to be a source of justice in the world. He wants them to um, bring like a taste of his kingdom to their family. Like, like I think that we can, we can move that so much further along. I, so I've been doing youth ministry for 15 years. I was a missionary to teenagers for 10 years. And the thing that I, so I was in Boston for six of those years and it was like, culturally, it's a little further ahead. The kids there, you know, like uh, same sex marriage was legal there in Oh two Oh three, something like that was one there's their state Supreme court. So like it was, there were 10 years ahead there. And what we found as missionaries to this post-Christian world where none of the kids, maybe they went to a little bit of Catholic church and that was it. They just got no, no spiritual background. What we found was that engaging them in the problems of the world and seeing that there isn't some human solution to fix them, but that uh, like uh, there's this gal who's going to be speaking in our conference, Hannah Gronowski um, Barrett is her name. And she's got this ministry called generation distinct. And she's got this compelling vision of using justice as a, um, as an apologetic so that like every, every person sees that they were made to make right a wrong in the world. Like they, they're there for that purpose. And I think that kids need purpose, kids need community. And I don't see, honestly, I don't see anybody killing it on doing either of those things right now. Yeah. That justice piece that that's, I was, as you're talking, I was thinking that's a huge piece too. Like, at least again, for my kids, they, they want a tangible faith um, yep. to come and sing on Sunday, listen to a good message. They don't not like those things, but if that's Christianity, if they don't see the tangibleness, they're hungering to go help people in need. You know, I, I remember, um, you guys know, Bren, he might, I don't know if Bren's yeah. even listening, but, uh, and I don't, know, I don't know if he still does it, but, um, years ago he started doing, you know, serve Sunday every six weeks. They would on, as a church, they would go serve a local ministry. And he would always tell me that that's the, the, the highest attended Sundays for surf Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> People think, Oh, I'm going to not grow my church. If I cancel church every six weeks. And he was, first of all, we're not canceling church. We're being the church, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but it, it was like, people are just hungering. And my kids, we, I'm, we were at his church at that time. And, you know, they are like, Oh, I can't wait. Surf Sunday. Where are we going? Like they got so excited that they uh-huh. get outside the walls of the church and go do something with their faith, you know? And, and uh, I think there is that, 
I, again, I think that's, I think most Christians as a whole are hungering for that, but especially Gen Z, they need to see the tangible na- nature of it. And it is the justice generation. So if all they hear is churches, you know, condemning the SJW movement or whatever, <laughs> and not talking about biblical justice and, and yeah. what is this, like, let's go through the scriptures and t- let's look at what these themes are, you know, what the Bible says about this. Um, yeah, they, they, they want to get dirty. I think they want to get dirty, roll their sleeves up and, and, you know, see their faith lived out. So I'm, I'm back to my roots as a, as a wildlife leader, which is like young life's middle school ministry. And I, oh, hang, yeah. I hang out with like 13 year old kids and, uh, I love it. I'm a glutton for that kind of punishment, but <laughs> what I've been, what I've been noticing is that like, they will tell you that the reason they're not interested in Christianity is because of the politics of the boomers. Like, like it is the way that my grandma talks about race or the way that my grandma talks about politics yeah. is the reason I don't want to be a Christian. <laughs> and I think that um, if for no other reason, the church should disengage in politics because that's the reason why their kids don't want to be a part of the church. That's a good enough reason to me. Uh, And I don't, I don't think that older generations see, they imagine that they're protecting they're they're protecting their cultural space that they've created with their generation for the next generation. When, when in reality, what I see is that the next generation is being so off put by the expression of their faith in these cultural wars that the kids are like, I'm, I'm out. And I share some of those same concerns with those boomers, but I also know that like the way that you're going to win the next generation is not by treating them like trash and treating them as if they're the problem. And like, instead inviting them to be a part of something more beautiful and more compelling. And, um, yeah. And, and, and a lot of those kids, I think that they're not going to, they're not going to stick around in the faith. If we can't answer questions about gender and sexuality, like if we yeah. can't give them yeah. some sort of compelling vision for what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, to understand like how intimacy plays an important role in our, our faith and relationships, they're going to say, you know what, you don't have the answers. And honestly, I don't like being around people who are so mean. So I'm going to go do anything else. And it feels like, mm-hmm. so, so Preston, when you're, when you're training and talking with parents, how, how should the church be engaging in those conversations on Sundays, like us as senior pastors and as youth leaders, like yeah. what are healthy ways to do it? Yeah, it, 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 I think it depends. I can't give a one size fits all for every church, the size of the church, the background, the, how you've gone about this conversation up until now. I mean, there's, there's so many factors in, but I, I would, as a very general, but kind of broad brush thing, um, I would say if you do preach on it, I would recommend after the leaders have really thorough discussions and the leaders are on similar pages and they're, you know, educated and, um, educating themselves in the conversation. I I think doing like a series on marriage, singleness, sex, sexuality as a whole, rather than kind of like one-off sermons on homosexuality. Cause even if you're really gracious in that sermon, it does feel kind of othering. (laughs) A lot of my friends were like gay. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, uh, um, like one of my friends who's same sex attracted uh, believes the traditional view of marriage, you know, she said, just, can you include me in your sin talks? Like you guys talk about 
pride and lust and all this stuff. And then, and uh, heterosexual sins, all this stuff. And then you have this special kind of homosexuality. It just kind of feels like I'm not even one of you sinners, you know? Um, so I think, I think talking up and really the questions about same sex sexuality are really a subset of what, what's marriage for? What is sex for? Why did God create us male and female? Like there's some deeper theological issues about just sexuality as a whole. Um, and I think within that, context. So I encourage people do like a four to six weeks series on sex, sexuality, and gender. Um, and, and really begin with what is the purpose of marriage? You know, like I, sometimes, you know, young people say, Hey, you know, we're getting married, you know? And if I ask the question, why great, you're getting married. Awesome. Why? I usually get well, either crickets Christians, or like something. They want to have sex. Well, yeah. Like we love each other. Like, why? Well, I, I, you know, I, I love my brother and I don't want to marry him, you know, like, like, what does that mean? Like what, and and there's just, there is a lot of theological and anemic response, understandings of even what marriage is for Uh anyway. So I would say, yeah, teach on that, but uh, second, so, so a more of a sermon series, that's a more broad vision on marriage, sex, sexuality. And also we need to, open up avenues where our cong- our our churches our congregants if, um can ask questions and respond that's something that whenever i go speak at churches on this i i almost always say we need to have like a separate maybe sunday evening everybody can come back just have a long like two hour interview q and a maybe share stories of people who are walking in you know in this conversation trying to follow jesus um we need to mix it up a little bit because if people just hit sit there and receive and they don't have space to process, push back a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they, in this day and age, like that's, they're just going to go somewhere else with their questions. We need to be able to field questions and, and concerns. And yeah, um, there's just, there's so much fear in the conversation, right? I'll, I'll <laughs> and, yeah. and not to pick on boomers again, but like some of the questions I get from, let's just say certain people, like I'll say one thing and th- and they'll respond. Their question is like, and I'm like, were you even here? Like, where did you get that from? <laughs> you know? Cause there's just with fear, there's so much just thick lenses that they just hear certain things a certain way. So if you don't give people space to kind of process yeah. and, and clarify um, it's. Well, and, yeah. and the language and the specificity of how we talk about things has shifted so much last 20 years, particularly. So like I, 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 my parents are, I think my parents are deeply concerned about being sensitive. They're both like liberals, like real liberals. Um, and, the, but they both say things that I, I just cringe at. Like I have such a hard time. I'm like, Whoa, um, don't say it that way, dad. Actually just don't say anything <laughs> unless you're with me. We can talk. Don't say anything out there to those people. Yeah. Oh man. He just said something the other day. I can't even repeat it on the podcast. He's like, <laughs> not like that. Dad. Yeah. You, you can tell us we just have to edit it we have to make sure we edit it no uh, we're live so, still man this, this is still oh, we're live all right all right we'll censor hey i got one more right. one more question uh for press i know we're coming up at the end of our time here but uh and this one is is uh it's a softball here at the end no i'm, I'm just kidding it's it's you know to, to what robert was saying with the politicization of yeah. the of sundays and churches and you know, a lot of, especially Gen Z are like, it's turning even kids in our own congregations away yeah. from Jesus 
because they feel like they have to vote. You know, when I turn 18, or I have to vote a certain way to be a Christian. Wait, where is that? Uh, so like, and I, one thing I love about the theology and the raw podcast, you, you bring people in, you're engaging and in a podcast format, a little easier maybe than a church, yeah. uh, to be, yeah. to be engaging. But what, what recommendation would you give for how the church can not be overly political, but still, I would yeah. say like in, engage in certain ways or, or how to go about that. Cause that's a tension. I know these last two years, yeah. every single church leader I know is yeah. either crushed by that weight or yeah. they are like, I'm kind of doing it. I have no idea what I like. If, if they did something right, they don't know what it was, right? Because it's like, yeah. it's such a moving target right now. Man, that, that's the golden ticket right there. You said it, and I'll repeat it. Every single church, every single pastor I talked to said this last year and a half has been the most challenging in ministry I've ever experienced. And it has basically nothing to do with theology and everything to do with politics and in the politicalization of the pandemic and masks and vaccines and who you voted for. And it's, just, it's, it's crazy. Um, you know, I, I remind people, you know, the gospel is profoundly political. It's just not partisan, you know, to say Jesus is Lord means Caesar is not. Um, and so my, my, you know, if you've heard my podcast, you know, my, you know, I pound this drum probably would be too much, but just, I, I think there's a crisis in discipleship in the church of putting our allegiances in Babylon's political parties. And you can lean a direction, you can even resonate with one or the other, but your allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And once you, in this, it's so polarized today that if you also try to give some of your allegiance to a political party, you now have a new enemy. If you're on this side, then the other side is your enemy. How it's yeah. framed in Babylon's way of going about this stuff. And that's just so bad. Like it's, I had somebody tell me the other day, and it was so shocking to me, but most pastors are like, yeah, that's every church. But somebody say like, I, somebody said, I wanted to bring an unsaved neighbor to church, but they, they're a Democrat. And I'm scared that they would feel unwelcome and feel like they'll hear something on Sunday that would make them feel like, Oh, so I need to be a Republican to be a Christian. Like I'm like, Oh my word. Like that. Think about how offensive that is to the cross. <laughs> so be scared to bring an unbeliever because of their political position as an, as an unbeliever. Like it's like, but they're going to hear something where it's like to be a good person means to vote this or to have this view of a vaccine or mass or whatever. Like, Oh my word. Like how do I go? I don't know. How do we change this? Cause it's, it's to me, it just seems like it just seems so clear that we're, we're stunting the growth of the kingdom, not furthering it when we are, are bringing this stuff into the church, you know? And again, I'm not even saying like, you can't personally lean one direction, vote one direction, whatever, or not vote or whatever. But like when your allegiance, allegiances are blurred, that's just bound for yeah. the strong. I and mean, that's really the whole conference in, in the Theologian Rock Conference. Exiles in Babylon is the title of it because there you every, go. every, yeah. Yeah. every uh, the whole thing is all about, how do we think through race, gender, sexuality, politics as an exile living in a foreign country? Cause that's, yeah. that's our political identity. Well, I think part of what you're talking about is like that, that allegiance, not just the party, but so much of the, the vitriol of our political system is about my vision because 
I have complete allegiance to America. Like I, oh, yeah. I have to, my vision has to happen. Otherwise America won't be saved. And America is the thing I'm trying to save. like this ultimate allegiance to this, this true Babylon, like America has like both parties are so utterly corrupted that there is no, there's nothing redeemable like left. Yeah. It's, it's like you, you have, I think the, the problem to me is any, anyone that you defend is who you are like that. That is your people. Whoever you defend is is your people. And too often, instead of making a positive statement about, I think that we should move this direction, it's, well, those people are okay, no matter what they do, because they believe in this. It's this, oh, mm. the secondary um, allegiance is beyond just idea to my tribe. I got to protect my tribe from um, criticism. Yeah. Looks like, well, I, I just want to talk all day, Preston. This is crazy fun. <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. Uh, Theology in the Rock Conference. Give us the yeah. date and the website and all that. Okay. So just go to my website, pressandsprinkle.com. Uh, it's front and center. You can get all the info. It's March 31st through April 2nd. And I will say this, it's, um, it's filling up pretty fast. We will probably sell out. Uh, I'm guessing at this rate, probably by February 1st, most of the people signing up are not from Boise. Loads of people are flying in mm. for it. So I, uh, I, if you're in Boise and you want to go, I really want our hometown. <laughs> like I, I really, I wouldn't, I would hate it if somebody in Boise really wanted to go, but it sold out and they didn't hear about it, you know? So I would, yeah, please yeah. do. If go to my website, check it out. Look at the vibe, look at the speakers. Uh, we're talking about race, politics, uh, sexuality, hell, gender, uh, women in the Bible and ministry. I mean, all the hot topics <laughs> Yeah, and we're going to yep. have a diverse viewpoint. You can, you can ask questions. We're going to have tons of Q and a interview style, multicultural worship. So, um, yeah, it's, I just want to mix it up and, and try to represent the kingdom of God. So yeah, press You can check out all the info. Yeah. And we'll, we'll be sending out uh, a promo on a city network email. So you guys will see that cool. coming out. Preston's going to be at our city network conference as well in February. Or I'd love to have him really dive into what does it look like to speak faithfully in this age about sexuality, gender, and faith. I'm really excited about that. Thank you for being a part of it, Preston. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can get that information, citynetworkconference.org and uh this is our this is our first episode of the second season it's coming out this week it'll be on our podcast so check that out check out theology in the rock uh podcast that preston does it's always a fascinating conversation last week he had a conversation with a husband and wife who are both um post transsexual <laughs> and in a married relationship with the opposite sex it was so fascinating and and followers of jesus like it's it's a yeah. crazy conversation gotta go listen to it um but it was great having you today preston thanks so much man thank you yeah thanks for having me on yeah guys. appreciate it thanks preston thanks for listening to the city network podcast if you have any comments or questions join the discussion on our facebook group at thecitynetwork.org slash group or sign up at the website to subscribe to updates from our blog and podcast